everyone, and welcome to the first episode of My Mom Thinks I'm Funny, a podcast where I, Chelsea Late, talk to comedians to dive deep into why and how they got into comedy. One of my favorite parts about being a creative and pursuing a creative career is connecting with other people who do the same thing. And this year has really sucked not being able to go to any events or shows or being able to even do all of the things in person that we love to do. So that's why I decided to do this podcast. Uh, and each episode, I'll bring in a different comedian and try and pick their brain about their journey and how they went from telling jokes at the dinner table that only their mom laughed at to pursuing comedy as an actual career. And I'm so excited to welcome my first guest. She is a comedian, writer, and producer from Sydney, Australia, who has performed at the Sydney Fringe Festival, the Melbourne International Comedy Festival, the Sydney Comedy Festival, and the Newcastle Fringe, just to name a few. She is currently living in Toronto and studying at the Second City Conservatory with me uh, after previously performing and studying with Improv Theatre Sydney. So please welcome Rachel Malenta. Hello, how are you? Hi Rachel, I'm good, how are you? I'm good, I would just like to from the get-go say that even when I was telling jokes at the dinner table, my mum did not think I was funny. (laughs) Well, shout out to Rachel's mom for being real. (laughs) The funny thing about this is when I decided that I wanted to do a podcast, I immediately was like, Rachel has to be my first guest, like immediately. (laughs) Um, And the funny thing is that like we've never met, like ever. Well, we've met virtually. We've never met in person. (laughs) Yeah, we've had a solid Sunday afternoon date for one year. Um, (laughs) We met doing conservatory and um, now we're kind of like, you know, besties that have never met. So um, the funny part, and I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think we bonded in conservatory because um, we both can't sing. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's not even we both can't sing so much as we both won't sing (laughs) yeah it's an alliance against singing (laughs) yeah we were like okay you don't sing I don't sing let's make sure that we don't (laughs) sing together um I don't know if anybody has ever tried to sing on zoom it's the most awful experience you will ever do in your entire life um it's just a mess of just a mess it's a mess and so yeah, very early on, because in conservatory, you learn like improv and you pitch and you do sketches and and then they try and like make you sing, which like in real life would have been fine. Like, you know, it but have. it would not have been fine in real life. <laughs> <laughs> I don't sing under any circumstances, but when you've got a delay through Zoom, it makes it so much worse because I mean, I can't hold a tune at the best of times, but create a delay and uh, like people freezing and it's not good for anybody involved. I'm not going to have a good time. <laughs> no, it it's awful. And then I just find myself in my apartment alone singing. And like, you know, if anybody were to hear, they wouldn't hear the music. They would just hear me badly singing. Well, that was the worst part. Like when conservatory first started, um, I didn't have very good internet at my house. So I had to go to like my friends and stuff or like, um, like the cafe I'm currently recording from. But the problem was like we weren't, closed at that time so I was like sort of sitting in a corner awkwardly and they'd be like you should sing now and it's like you've got to remember (laughs) nobody else can hear you guys so it would have just been me staring at a computer in a cafe randomly singing (laughs) and so I mean I look pretty nuts at the best of times but that's yeah it's not for me it's not for me it would be like a real life musical except like the people can't sing 
Like you'd be in a cafe singing and it would be like a musical where they sing in public, but everybody would just be staring at you like, what is she doing? Yeah. We did have a moment though, where you and I wanted to not sing, but rap. Um, Something that will not be in our shows coming up this month. um, Rachel and I wanted to create a um, rap comedy duo. Um, We we named it Vanilla Tim Tam. For obvious reasons. Explain those reasons, please, because nobody will know. Honestly, I don't know. (laughs) um I think the I think the thought process behind it was that you're Australian which I've said like eight times by now because I think it's cool um and Tim Tams are a snack food is that how you would describe them they are a chocolate biscuit a biscuit okay ooh, a biscuit um (laughs) yeah so there there's no so vanilla Tim Tams don't exist though um, I don't believe so. Like, I, honestly, Tim Tams brought out, like, a lot of different variations on the Tim Tam. Like, they do caramel Tim Tams and stuff. I'm sure they have tried to create a white chocolate Tim Tam. But I think our reasoning was that we are both white girls rapping. Yes. And Australian. And so, and a Tim Tam is just, like, a perfect blend of many things. And so we decided Vanilla Tim Tam would be our rap comedy duo name. Yeah. And, I mean... We had a great name. We had a great concept. The only problem was that neither of us could rap. We, like, thought of it. We thought it was so funny. It was, like, a bit for a while. And then it just, like, died. What I do want to ask you, though, is because you have, like, a very long, you know, resume in terms of doing stand-up. Um, do you remember the first place you ever performed? Stand-up? Yeah. Yes, I performed at this place. It was called the Tudor Hotel. It's in Sydney, um, in Redfern in Sydney. Um, It was an open mic night and I went with some people who I knew through improv. And I like, I wouldn't say I bombed, but like I didn't do, it was fine. Do you know what I mean? Like it was, it was the first time someone does stand up, you know, I'm not even sure there were really punchlines. I think I just told like a funny story or something. The guy who was hosting came up who is now cancelled because he turned out to be a predator because it's stand-up comedy he came up to me afterwards and told me that my story was funny and I was like hey thanks I'd better continue doing (laughs) stand-up and do you like you don't remember what that story was about or anything it's about my cat (laughs) my first uh stand-up show happened to be like four days before COVID happened we were like sanitizing the mic in between sets like it was a whole thing um but I did a bit that would probably kill now because COVID happened. But I was convinced that, like, people would love the idea of, like, n- people wearing maternity pants but, like, not being pregnant. Have you ever seen <laughs> Have you ever seen maternity pants? Because they have that giant elastic waistband. And I was like, I'm down for this. Like, I don't want to wear real jeans. And so that was, like... <laughs> but like you want to look professional well at least people did back before covid <laughs> it was ridiculous i feel like it would hit more now than it would back then i don't even remember if people laughed though because i was like blacked out completely um does that time to enjoy stand up i think it's yeah. one of those things it takes a while to find like i find the joy in it for the first few times it's just scary like, it's yeah. just terrifying, and you're shaking the entire time you do it. And then it takes a while to be like, hey, I can just, like, screw around and have fun and improv it a bit and have fun with the crowd. But I think it also takes a few terrible experiences till you get to that point. Like, 
Um, someone told me really early on in stand-up that one of the best things that can happen to you is properly bombing in like the first few gigs. Like, and not just like a bad gig, like really horrifically bombing because it's terrible and it sucks and you feel like shit, but then you wake up the next day and you're fine and you realize pretty much the worst thing that can happen is very survivable. Like you're going to be mm-hmm. fine. And then it makes it a lot easier to get back up. And I think, like, I mean, I still have gigs where, like, it's not fun. But generally speaking, I've now accepted that eh, if people don't like me, that's cool. Like, mm-hmm. you know. Someone once told me that the first 500 times you do stand-up don't count. Have you ever heard that? <laughs> no, I've never heard that. <laughs> I think it was a teacher that I had in school that said the first 500 times you do stand up do not count and so when I did like the one I was like well I guess 499 left to go like I I don't know like I think um I dislike anything that tells you like um you have to perform for a certain amount of time before you're good at that and I feel like in stand-up it's a really commonly asked question at gigs and like in green rooms people ask all the time like oh how long you been doing this and if you say I don't know, a year or something, or even honestly anything less than like five years, people kind of go, oh, well, like you're not, you haven't paid your dues yet. Yeah. And I don't buy into that. I think that's stupid Um, because to me, I don't care if you, if you're funny from your first gig, power to you, babe. Like, I think that's amazing. I think it should be based on funniness. I don't think it should be based on um, yeah. how long you've been doing something because I find it really, to me, it's more of a red flag when someone's doing, like, bombing and they're like, oh, yeah, he's been doing it 25 years. And it's like, well, maybe he just sucks. Like, yeah, occur to you? Like, maybe you're just not funny. I think everything takes time to learn and that is something to comfort yourself with, but I don't think that's something that you should judge yourself based on. And I also don't think that – I think it's very, very dangerous in – comedy to start going well I've been doing it this many years and you've been doing it the same amount of time why are you ahead of me because it doesn't work that way this isn't becoming a doctor where there is a very clear career path everyone's on their own path and their own journey in comedy and everyone has their own steps and I think it's silly to get caught up in that competitiveness I feel like you've told me this story before but like what is the worst experience that you've had with like and I just say man, it doesn't have to be a man, but I feel like it's usually a man of like, you know, you were doing stand up and like some guy said something to you and like, did it like affect you for a while? Or do you, did you, do you just let it like roll off your back? I will say like, I'm very thick skinned in regards to a lot of things. And I don't mean that like as a brag. I think I just, I worked in nightclubs for too long. <laughs> so, yeah. Like a guy yelling out that I'm a slut is never going to affect me. I'm just like, okay. <laughs> like, yeah like that doesn't bother me and I think um I've had lots of gigs where guys have yelled out like really misogynistic stuff and everything but quite frankly I think I I mean it's scary as it is for any woman in that scenario but like I I I don't know like to me I think success is the best revenge so like one of the weirdest situations I think that absolutely screams being a female in stand-up was actually when I first got to Toronto here and um I was booked to headline this gig and um I was got there and I was the only woman on the lineup, which mm. honestly, um, no, sorry, I was hosting. I wasn't headlining, so sorry. Um, I was hosting this gig and 
I was the only woman on the lineup, which isn't new. Like that happens a lot. I was also recognized quite quickly that I was the only woman in the room. Like the audience was all men, which is weird. Like, but it also, right? But it also <laughs> screams, what kind of a room am I in? Like when, like it's often, it's very common to see all male lineups. That is just, you're going to cop that. There is no way you will go through a career as a comedian and not cop that. But um, very, very strange to be in a room where the audience was all men. And I was sort of looking around going like, this is uncomfortable, but whatever, I'll do my shit. So I got up, started going, it was all fine. And it was like, they weren't really reading me, but it was very, very clearly like my stuff wasn't going to read particularly well, you know, but like it was going fine, you know, like I certainly wasn't doing badly, but I also wasn't killing it. You know, it was just a night. Anyway, we got midway through the night and one of the comedians got up, if you can call him a comedian. And he clearly had also recognized that I was the only girl in the room. And so he said... In his set, um, oh, Rachel must feel uncomfortable right now. Uh, Don't worry, though. We're not going to rape you. (sighs) Like, threw a microphone in this room. And I'm like, I've been in Canada maybe three days at this point. So I'm like, I don't know anybody in this room. I don't know anyone in this room's first name, let alone with you a rapist. And statistically, like, eh, probably half of you. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So oh I'm like standing there going, okay, this is strange. And I kind of like looked at him going like, okay, maybe this has come out wrong. Like, because, you know, you like to believe that give these people the benefit of the doubt as though experience teaches me. You never should. Um, and it, oh then my God. he just finished his set and I just had to like take the microphone and continue on with my job for the rest of the night. Like that had just yeah. like not occurred. And no one ever called it out. Nothing was ever done about it. And I like said to him afterwards, that was really fucked up. And he was like, oh, don't be, don't, don't be sensitive about it. Like, leave it. And I was like, Ugh. I don't know enough people to really post. So I was like, whatever. Like, I just like watched my back while I walked to the subway that night. But either way, it's like, I feel like most female stand-ups have a story <sighs> of that nature. Like, it's pretty standard. Like, I mean, I'm not going to let some douchebag like that. He wasn't even funny. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, that's. It's so, like, infuriating because even, like, outside of comedy, even not in stand-up and, like, in sketch and in TV and in film or whatever, like, you don't, you've never, like, I've never met a woman who doesn't have that kind of story where it's like, oh, some dude made me uncomfortable and then I just had to, like, sit there and be like, ha-ha, like, funny. (laughs) So, like, in your opinion, like, as you move up and as you, like, become, I guess, the person who's picking what's happening in these spaces, like, what do you think or what would you do that is different to like kind of change the culture and change like the atmosphere of these places? Hey, your ex. Like, yeah. I don't understand why there is become, if, if you were, like, in no other industry would it be acceptable to not pay your workers. Like, can yeah. you imagine if you worked in a cafe and I said, yes, just come in but don't worry, we're not going to pay you, but you'll be able to put this on your resume. Like you're going to get the exposure. You're going to be so good at latte art by the next five years that you work here. That's ludicrous. You can't do that. But there's no regulation in the entertainment industry at this level. So it means that we're not like governed by labor laws. So it means you get abused. And there's a lot less payments in Canada than there is in Australia. Um, Australia pays, and don't get me wrong, it's tokenistic payment. Like, I mean, you get 50 bucks. Like, you know, yeah. largely tokenistic at the minor level, at amateur level. But from amateur level, you don't MC or host an open mic. 
for free in Australia. That would be crazy. And it's like you headline gigs for free. It seems to be an accepted thing. And I just think if you are charging cover charge, you pay your performers. There should not be any discussion around that. And why there is is bizarre to me. And I think until – I think there's just a – there's a power structure there that's not particularly lovely. Um, I also acknowledge that there is – more difficulty for certain groups of people to get those bookings. Like I understand like women more so than men struggle in this area. Like men are more likely to get paid in comedy and entertainment in general. Um, yeah. I've been on lineups when I first started where we were all booked and uh, I was the only woman on the lineup and I was the, also the only one not getting paid. Um, yeah, I yeah. also appreciate that um, people of color and uh, black performers have a lot more trouble in this area. Um, there's definitely some intersectional issues here. So I acknowledge that like, I'm certainly not the hardest done by in this scenario. And I know how difficult it can be and how many times I've literally had to like force myself to say, unfortunately, if you're not paying me, I'm not performing for you. Since you like came right from Australia and like came here and started performing, is there like, have you seen a big difference in like speaking just generally in comedy, like a difference in comedy in Australia, in North America? Like, is there stuff that you used to do at home and that you came here and you're like oh that's not funny here like what's what's Uh, wrong there's a little thing not I wouldn't say there's like sets I can't do do you know what I mean like I wouldn't say that there's like whole things there's like I found very funny little things that I had to tweak to make things work like um firstly just words we use that are different um like when I first got here I say one of the punchlines of a joke I have is um about someone jumping in a bin and it takes people to translate in their head bin. So I had to change it to like trash and like little things like that, that like in comedy, you don't want people thinking too much. Like um, if you have to translate in your head, that's even if it's just a millisecond, that's a millisecond that's stopping you laughing and it's, it holds back audience. So it takes me a minute to, it took me a minute to kind of like get that translation out. I think, um, there were other things like I um I have a joke about a bar where um they were serving five dollar vodkas and in Australia five dollar vodkas is extremely cheap and the yeah. joke relies on you understanding that these were extremely cheap but in Toronto five dollar vodkas is actually just pretty standard yeah so I had to change the joke to make it one dollar vodkas because the first few times I told it it was like it was getting like a tit up but it wasn't like laughing and I was like why is this not hitting like what's wrong and it wasn't until somebody said yeah that's not cheap like so the joke wasn't making any sense like yeah. everyone was like just go somewhere else like I don't get it and I'm like no it's not cheap. <laughs> <laughs> so you're from Sydney you grew up in Sydney right um I grew up about an hour north of Sydney on the central coast okay. which is like be- beach suburbs but Sydney, okay. yeah for the sake of yeah it's like Canadian it's like when people ask where <laughs> I'm from and I'm like, Toronto and they're like, we're in Toronto. I'm like an hour away from Toronto. Um, close. Nobody understands. But like people who have not been to Australia. Yes, Sydney. <laughs> <laughs> Sydney. Um, were, as a kid, like, did you ever think that you would grow up and like be a comedian? Like, no. is that what you wanted to do? No? No. Fiercely, no. Um, I actually, so when I first got into performing, I wanted to act. Um, I quickly realized that I don't like waiting around for other people and I'm very impatient as a person. So, and also I'm just not that great an actress. Like I'm, I'm all right. Like I can act, but it's also like, 
I think acting is so much more than just being a different character. Like it's so, there's so much, um, I don't know, like discipline and that to it that I prefer to be able to propel my own career forward in a different way that comedy allows in a lot of ways. And it wasn't for me, but then I got <laughs> to improv and sketch because I loved Saturday Night Live. And I like looked yeah. around and there were some schools in Sydney and started doing that. And when I started doing improv, I like swore up and down. There is no way I'd ever do stand up. It's terrifying. There's no way I'd ever do stand up. That's ridiculous. And then I just started doing it because everyone else was doing it. Um, all my friends would stand up and I was like, eh, I could do this. And I performed in, I was asked to do an improv set in my friend's Sydney Fringe show. This is a few years back. She was doing a Sydney Fringe show and I was asked to do just like a section of it. And um, watching her do it, and like watching my friend do it, who I performed with, made it seem so much more accessible in a way. Not to say she wasn't incredible, because she was, um, but I mean, it made me kind of go, hey, maybe I could do this. Maybe it's not that scary, you know? And um, then I did it and it was that scary. <laughs> <laughs> um, I then figured it out a little bit, but then I just enjoyed it. I have always liked writing more. And so stand-up gave me the opportunity to kind of combine writing with performance in a way that improv and that didn't yeah. but um stand up I was given a lot more opportunity and all of a sudden I was performing the better part of seven nights a week and that just took my time and yeah, yeah so I I didn't ever when I was a little kid no I was not like dreaming of becoming a stand-up I always wanted to <laughs> it's funny yeah you say the Saturday Night Live thing like yeah, I feel like there's so many people, you're like, you become known as like, oh, you're the person who likes Saturday Night Live. And then I feel like, especially when I started in comedy, I was like, oh, that's such a goal. I want to be on Saturday Night Live. And then I realized how completely inaccessible it was and like how. And also like, that everyone wants to be on Saturday Night Live. Like you become, you're not just, <laughs> you're not interesting for one. Do you know what I mean? Like, no. I'm interesting for that. And it's like, you're not, everyone wants to be on Saturday Yeah. Like I feel like before I moved to Toronto, people were like, oh, like she's the Saturday Night Live girl. Like she can do it. And then I got to Toronto and I was like, no. <laughs> But like maybe like I'm not completely I'm not completely like taking it out of the question like if it happened I'd be very grateful but then you realize everyone wants to be on Saturday Night Live but then you also realize that the more doors you kind of open and explore the more opportunities you realize exist you realize that Saturday Night Live is not the only option like Saturday Night Live is one option and I say option as though, like, we all get to choose whether we go on Saturday Night Live. Yeah, like, they would, like, just look at this and be like, oh, we got to hire these two. Like, they're brilliant. What want to do next week. But, um, <laughs> like, there are so many other amazing things to do. You know, there are so many things that you can like and enjoy and explore. Like, there's not just one show. And I feel so, so many things that I genuinely love doing that I never would have thought of in my own time. I'm always a put your eggs in a million different baskets kind of gal. Um, yeah. I never have one thing going on because I have anxiety. And I like to manage that by running 40 different projects and then having 40 different panic attacks. It's called work-life balance. So. Yeah, it's called being in a creative career, um, having yes. 40,000 things going on. Do what you love and you'll work two jobs for the rest of your life. <laughs> so Do at least. I would love to just work two <laughs> jobs. That would be like chef's kiss amazing. <laughs> um, yeah, I've been given so much advice to be like, okay, 
this is what do you want to do? And then I say like, oh, this is what I want to do. And they're like, hey, you have to do that. And then you have to do like 17 other things so that they feel like you're qualified to do the thing that you actually want to do. Yeah. And I I feel like it makes it so hard, especially when I like go back to like my hometown where like, you know, nobody's in this world. They're like, so like, what are you doing for work right now? And I'm like, well, I'm not paid. I'm doing this (laughs) and this, this show. So I technically am unemployed, but I'm also busy. Yeah. Work is a very loose term. <laughs> I'm playing it real fast and loose with the term work. But yeah. I am attending and putting work in, but it yeah. is not gainful employment. <laughs> I'm on Ontario Unemployment, Canada Unemployment Plan, but I'm also very busy. So <laughs> I am very, very fortunate. I have always supplemented work well. Like I have always been given I've been very, very lucky in that. Um but I think supplementing your entertainment with other work is just kind of the way for a long time, you know? And I think Mm -hmm. eventually you hope it's in your field and you get into your field with work, even if it's not exactly what you want to do. But I think that's sort of the game for a long time. Yeah, it is the game. And like, my next question is kind of like, I've had so many moments where like this career is hard and it sucks and it's stupid, but like, there's so many moments where the stupidest things happen to me. And I'm like, I can't not be a comedian because somebody has to hear this. Like, <laughs> like this one time, and this is the example I go to constantly because, and I think I've told you this story and I think I, I love this story and it's hilarious, but I went on a date once and the man that I was on a date with at one point, like was showing me like a tattoo he had on his leg and on his leg and I need to preface this with like this man we didn't eat on this date this man had a like a dried glob of pasta sauce on his leg and then proceeded to flick it off when I left that day and it was the the worst date ever I came home and I was like well I have to use that like I have to use this entire date for comedy or else you know and that's what like motivates me be wasted yeah. Do you, do you have moments like that where, like, some stuff happens and you're like, shit? Not, like, I wouldn't say, like, I'm ever kind of, like, the world must hear this. But, I'm like, my friend <laughs> Sophie and I, um, shout out Sophie Long. She was an amazing producer. Um, she, we used to always say um, being a comedian is essentially, like, you have, you're never okay with yourself ever you are never kind of like yeah I'm, I'm okay you have two emotions you have either I am the greatest fucking thing to ever exist I am so funny the, I this set is amazing I have written a masterpiece I am the Shakespeare of humor and then flick the light switch and you are I should die. Um, this is the worst thing. I don't know why I could have had a bed this morning. No one should listen to me. I am a fraud and I should not be here. And those are the only two emotions. And you I cycle feel that between so those. So hard. You can cycle between those four times in a day. Like it is oh, not yeah. like you go. It's, yeah, it is a constant matter of I go through phases where I'll be like, I'm nailing this. Everything's going to work out okay. It's going to be fine. Great. And then the next day I'm like, I should quit and just accept that I I should live on a farm. Like, why am I not living on a farm? I'd be great with goats. Like, and I plan like this whole other life where I'm like, 
you know, milking cows. And I'm just like, because no one wants to hear my crap. So I really think it's just rapid cycling between delusion. And I remember this quote from um, Steve Martin's book, Born Standing Up. There's a quote at the end of one chapter and it's, um, there's nothing wrong with a little delusion to get you through periods between moments of genuine inspiration. And I always thought that was so true. The way that you have genuine inspiration and in the middle, you just have to delude yourself into believing yeah. that it's still a dream. And I, I do think that that exists. And I think that that spoke to me in such a genuine way, the way that you just like, I can totally do this. And you've got nothing going on at the moment, you know? Like oh, just, yeah. I'm nailing this. And then you yeah, go, you're like, I'm nailing life. And then <laughs> 10 seconds later, you're like, what am I doing? I hate myself. Nothing that I've ever said in my life is funny. Speaking of Steve Martin, didn't you live in the room that Steve Martin once lived in? Okay. Yes. <laughs> I remember this story and like the world needs to hear this. Love that you remember this. Okay, so when I first came to Canada, um, I lived with these amazing people who I call my Canadian parents, uh, Michelle and Hugh Atwood, shout out. Um, and then their friend Mary uh, had a basement apartment and she wanted to like lease it for like six months. So I moved in. Over the Christmas period though, she had somebody staying in the apartment. So I had to like move into the house. While I was moving into the house, um, her husband was talking to me and said, this used to be Martin Short's house. And you know when someone says something to you like that, you're always like, of course it was. So I didn't really pay much attention to it. And then I mentioned it to my friend who is a big Martin Short fan and he'd read the book and he said, yeah, he lived on Indian Road. And I was like, oh my God, maybe this actually like is Martin Short's house. And so I looked up this book and I actually like, um, and I like control F did a little bit and started looking <laughs> for like Indian Road. And he described in detail this house. And this was the first house he bought with his wife um, mm. when he was performing on the main stage at Second City and everything. And his friends, who included Robin Williams and Steve Martin and that, all used to come and they'd have parties in this house. And he described this room where Steve Martin and Robin Williams used to stay. And it was the attic room that I was living in. And I was like, that's really cool and then I just started becoming like obsessed with the house and I read the entire book like did you learn this while you were living in the house so you could just kind of like sit there and try and like soak up yeah I I was really hoping I'd write like a masterpiece in the house um I actually just became depressed because COVID hit but anyway um I'm sure osmosis had seeped in somehow a similar situation I live in this basement and apparently the guy who lived here for like 12 years before I moved in last summer was also a stand-up comedian Um, I don't know his name. I'm also not going to share my address because no. Um, And so now I'm like, because of COVID, I'm doing everything in this basement and like I'm here 24 seven and maybe one day I'll have a similar story. We'll be like, so-and-so used to live in my apartment and whatever, but that's so cool. You lived in Someone else will be like, Chelsea Late used to live in my apartment. True. The next podcast, I don't know. you heard of her podcast yeah but I remember you see that story and like I was like imagine just living in Steve Martin's room like that's not it was a really cool house it was like a beautiful house I bet too and just like Martin Short's first house so there you go go Canada I feel like everybody in Toronto either has a story about like knowing Martin Short or like (laughs) In, it's there's two things if you're Canadian in the entertainment industry you were either on Degrassi worked Degrassi or you like know Martin Short 
Like, I feel like those or, are the two different... I feel like in Toronto, everyone knows the cast of Shit's Creek. Like, I... Well, mostly because, like, I know Annie Murphy, like, lives in the junction. And I know Dan Levy used to perform here a lot. And I know that many people who have... Like, I've heard that many Dan Levy stories. Like, it's insane. <laughs> so... Yeah, I feel like, I worked on Shit's Creek or, like, I know someone on Shit's Creek is, like, the new I was on Degrassi. Uh, rip Degrassi. Bring Degrassi back. I miss that show. Degrassi. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, yeah, that's a very Toronto thing. Well, that's what TV is missing these days. Like, I want a good theme song. We need, like, a show with a... When was the last time you watched a show, like, a recent show where you were like, I need to get this song on my iPod, <laughs> Nano. Yeah, right, like, Gavin DeGraw, I Don't Wanna Be. That was great. California, you know, the OC's theme song. Like, they had strong theme songs. I don't watch anything. Everything now is like a little jingle. Like, it's a little sound. And yeah. I think it's shorter now because cause in the streaming universe, no one's got any interest in an intro. So no one, like, you don't watch an intro song anymore, you know? No. If I – well, if. I say if, but, like, I want to say when. Um, I create a TV show. I One thing, I will make a theme song. I have to. <laughs> It's like I want my credits. When it says row credits, I want them to take four and a half minutes. Like, yeah. I, want, I want like everybody to have a place card. I want it to like be iconic because I miss that. Do you know what the last one probably was? Was um the one I'm just thinking is um Orange is the New Black has You've Got Time by Regina Spector. That's a good one. I'm I've been trying to think this entire conversation of one recently and I can't like shit's creek in that they all just have like jingles it's like it's just like noise and then it starts which is fine (laughs) but I think it's because of streaming culture like it's quicker it's you got to move into the show is there has there ever been like a tv show or a piece of comedy or something that you've watched and you're like this is this is my comedy like this is 100% representative representative I can't speak wow um probably like the one that comes to mind is fleabag I loved Fleabag. Yeah. Actually, that makes sense for you. <laughs> Not in a bad way. Honestly, I haven't watched the whole thing, so like, I can't make an actual judgment. I feel like I'm going to get so judged by the five people who listen to this because I haven't watched Fleabag. Great show. Great show. That and my favorite TV programs are like that. Please Like Me, which is an Australian show. It is on Canadian Netflix, though. Hit it up. And... Um, probably Bojack Horseman. I think Bojack Horseman is brilliantly written. I adore yeah. Bojack Horseman. I don't care yeah. what anyone says. I, my like thing, if somewhere to say like Chelsea, like what's your brand of comedy and like what do you find funniest? I don't know. Have you ever watched Parks and Recreation? I love Parks and Rec. It's the best show to ever exist. And the episode where they have a funeral for the mini horse. Uh, little Sebastian. Uh, rest in peace, little Sebastian. Um, that. Like, I sat there for, like, days after, and I was like, that was the funniest thing I've ever seen in my entire life. (laughs) (laughs) Like, it was so dumb. Now, okay, I have a game that I want to play with you. Yes. And it's very, I think you're going to like it. For context, um, I learned about who the man Scott Morrison was because of... Ah, ScoMo. ScoMo, yeah. I learned in my research that that is his nickname, ScoMo. Um. Or Scotty from marketing, we call him. Scotty from marketing. Scott Morrison is the Prime Minister of Australia. He is, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. Um, kind of a controversial figure. I find him hilarious. Um, Tell but... me so controversial. Like, controversial implies some people like him. <laughs> like... Yeah. 
No one likes him. I think we can just like agree that he's kind of like a dum dum, right? Yeah. He's a complete. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, here's what this game is going to be. Yeah. I am going to read you a quote with no context. And I want you to determine if it is a Scott Morrison quote yeah. or a quote from a male comedian. Yeah, gotcha. Got it? Okay. Yeah. Here's the first quote. Public hospitals should be for the poor. The rich should have private insurance. That is a male comedian. No, that's a Scott Morrison quote. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I thought he was pro medicare Sounds like fucking Scott Morrison. <laughs> oh, I hate Scomo. <laughs> Scomo. Okay. Number two. The secret of a happy marriage remains a secret. Fuck, that does that does sound like Scott Morrison as well. <laughs> Is that your final answer? Yes. That was a male comedian. Uh, do you know who? It's, no, I did not recognize the name. Same. <laughs> the same. Um, you are zero for two at the moment. Yeah, I'm not. <laughs> I um, I've been I've been shattered. Yeah. Okay. Go next. I'm excited. We don't want to see women rise on the basis of others doing worse. Oh, that's definitely Scott Morrison. Yeah, that's a Scott Morrison quote. <laughs> Scomo. You know what? He could have just ended it. We do not want to see women rise, and I'd be like, "Yep, Scomo." <laughs> okay. Next one. Yeah. Before you marry someone. You should make them use a computer with slow internet to see how they react. That is a male comedian. Yeah, that was Will Ferrell. Yeah, I was going to say, I feel like I've heard that before. Yeah. Okay. So you've gotten two right. Yes. Okay. There's two left. Okay, I'm ready. Next one. It's a simple rule. Pants first, shoes second. That usually works for me. That's Scott Morrison. That is Scott Morrison. Yes. I remember um, when he said that. <laughs> I read that and I was like, he said that out loud? Oh, <laughs> uh, it's he's a problem. <laughs> uh, okay, last one. So you are three for two right now. So yeah. if you get this one wrong, then you're tied. If you get this one right, then you win the game. Yeah, I'm ready. The, the prize is eternal bragging rights. Obviously. Okay. Exposure. <laughs> Quote number six. I have heard that women are overlooked and talked over by men. That's Scott Morrison. Yeah, that's Scott Morrison. <laughs> oh, man. Scomo. Did you hear about him um, getting a prime minister for women? No. Okay. Everyone who listens to this, you should Google Scott Morrison, prime minister for women. Oh, uh, Scomo. I'm... <laughs> both glad and also like sad that you brought him into my life because now like I think about him sometimes and I'm like oh Scott he'll hopefully be gone very soon yeah just like Dougie him and Dougie can go to the same place wherever that is (laughs) all right well that is all I have with Rachel today uh thank you so much Rachel for being my very first guest time where can the people find you online I am at Rachel Melanta at everything and also (laughs) want to see me and Rachel perform together we have a show starting next Wednesday which is nuts I can't believe it's next Wednesday <laughs> um uh next Wednesday it's at 8 eastern standard time I will post the link basically everywhere because I'm annoyingly posting it everywhere but come it'll be a fun comedy show 
Um, and also to stay updated on new episodes of this podcast, follow on Instagram and Twitter at Mom Thinks I'm Fun. And other than that, uh, thank you so much for tuning in, and hopefully I will see you next time.